Howdy fam, and welcome to the Founders Forge podcast. This is Marcus, and today we are inviting Adam, my other co-host, into the Forge on, I guess, the other side of the mic to talk about his entrepreneurial journey founding Simply Razor, uh, his side project, and I guess we'll just get started with welcoming you on in the chair too. Thanks a lot, Marcus. It's good to be here. It's good to have you. Uh, do you have anything interesting to say before we get started? Otherwise, we'll uh, we'll dive right in. I think we should just dive right in. I mean, that's the whole point, right? We're gonna chit chat about the the challenges of of starting a business. Perfect. Well, as you know, I like getting deep and dirty uh, from the get go. So let's talk a little bit about your childhood. Uh, tell me maybe a little bit about where you grew up, uh, what your family experience was like and uh, kind of let's get into the where you are now um, in career level so let's let's start with uh, tell me about you as a as a zero year old as a zero year old so uh, I was born into a military family my father was in the Air Force so I'm a military brat and uh, I'm one of those people that doesn't easily answer the question where are you from because I was born in South Carolina but I immediately moved to Japan and then uh, ended up in Germany and Northern California and uh, eventually Southern California and San Diego. My father was born and raised there. And uh, so, yeah, so that's kind of my, my childhood. And then uh, later on, I ended up moving up to Oregon and uh, then eventually out to Austin, where I'm located right now. World traveler here. How many uh, stamps do you have in your passport? <laughs> do you even know? Well, I guess that was also while you were a child, so those don't really get counted. I traveled a lot. I traveled a lot as an adult as well, though. So uh, I've hit something like 27 or 28 countries, I think. I forget. That's awesome. And uh, I've gone through several passports. That is uh, one of my aspirational dreams when I... It's a lot of fun. ...have more uh, flexibility, you could say. But I, uh, that sounds like it. Would you say that that was a formative kind of part of your experience, the maybe transience or open-worldedness that you uh, you grew up in? Oh, definitely it's formative. I mean, uh, I spent a good chunk of my childhood outside of the United States and in a totally different set of cultures, and I explored a lot around Europe especially, but a bit in Southeast Asia uh, Southeast Asia later on. And, uh, you know, I got to see lots of different things and meet different people and just, you know, hear different perspectives on everything. Uh, and then, you know, living in the United States, I li- I've, I've lived the bulk of my life in the United States. It's not like I'm uh, uh, an expatriate kind of thing, right? Uh, I, you know, it just, it colors everything that you do when you start to see in depth living with people of yeah. a different language of a different culture of a different attitude right and so yeah i definitely say it's heavily influenced my perspective on things for sure uh now i guess a parallel question to the experiences of childhood is the what did you do with yourself as an adult and your work that also is formative to the i guess the life that we live and maybe transition into entrepreneurship. So uh, tell me a bit about your career and uh, maybe your education or um, where you started yourself out in the real adult working world. 
So I, uh, I have a degree in computer science and a degree in mathematics, and I um, wasn't sure what I wanted to do in life other than play video games when I was younger, and uh, ended up getting into computer software and uh, developing uh, a penchant for basically user interfaces. I think that a lot of that came from my video game experiences. And uh, so I worked for uh, some large companies and a couple of startup companies and, and in San Diego. And uh, I ended up doing a mixture of things, uh, customer service, software development, product management, pro program management, and project management, I should say. And uh, so I really had my hands in a lot of different cookie jars as I went through my career. But it was all, all technology, right? So it's IT and software development and, and everything like that. And then eventually I moved to... Yeah to Oregon and kept kept that up with uh, a large semiconductor up there. I um, eventually moved to Austin as the director of IT for a startup company here in Austin, uh, but that didn't last very long. So I ended up taking kind of a, a, a side path into real estate and uh, securities trading and uh, left the world of technology behind for a while. But that was the so bulk been of all my, over the place. Yeah, well, I mean, the bulk of my <laughs> not career. only have you been all over the place in yeah. uh, geographies, but also in kind of spaces within the business world. Right, right. Well, I, the bulk of my career is, has been in some form of software development, right? So either managing software teams or developing software or uh, doing something with IT. And uh, you know, I was raised with the idea that you join a company, you know, find a large company, join it for 30 years, get your pension, da da da, kind of thing. I mean, that's what my father did with the military, and then eventually got into finance and, and did that. And uh, so I kind of followed that attitude for a while until I joined the startup company in San Diego, where I uh, was intrigued by all of the, the going ons of, of development, seeing that we had this, this tiny little application for mobile phones and this is pre-iphone days by the way just to date me <laughs> and uh you know but you know we made well we initially didn't make any money uh the company i joined was <laughs> struggling to begin with uh, barely had itself together and it wasn't until i ended up uh taking over as the director of software and had a change in upper management that we actually finally managed to be profitable only for the company to to go under due to legal reasons because our investors were basically running a Ponzi scheme. Hashtag startup life, right? <laughs> Goodness. So I guess that was your foray into uh, the startup world and sounds like you got a taste for it, always now looking for opportunities to some degree. So I guess, how about you tell me about the what you're working on now? Uh, I mentioned it before, Simply Razor. Could you uh, give me an idea of what the five-word pitch is or would be? Yeah, so Simply Razor. Yeah, Simply Simple Razor is just about having a better shave, uh, better shaving experience. And uh, it's obviously a non-software, non-technical product. <laughs> it's a consumer product, a razor uh, for not, shaving. Not the Motorola. Right, yeah, know, not the, the Motorola razor. razor. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> TM. Uh, Right, exactly, and neither the old school nor the new school one. Um, yeah, it's a physical product, actually, and so uh, I, I've always been more—I don't know—I guess intrigued by that, just because there's there is that physicality behind it. I think I, I love software, I love so doing software development, but you know, to kind of find that unique thing 
you know, there's there's just an infinite number of things you could do with software, and um, you know, it's a it can be a little overwhelming, I think, in a lot of ways. And so, yeah. coming up with ideas of what you could do, and then and the amount of work, you know, because software development is, you know, with with rare exception, right? You know, you can develop a game using you know the new game engines that are out there and everything like that on your own if you have the artistic inclination inclination for it, but you know, developing physical products are a little different, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, developing software from scratch is usually a, of any significance is usually a, a significant teamwork. And uh, yeah, but yeah. developing a consumer product, you can actually do on your own. So or at least I can I'll put it that way. Let, let me rephrase that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can do it on my own. So or at least I've started. It. Yeah. So um, I guess uh, we can uh, talk a little bit more about the uh, kind of process there. But first, uh, could you give maybe uh, the two-minute version of what your business is and the kind of uniqueness that that, that goes into it. Uh, so, Simply Razor is a razor product for shaving, you know, your face or your legs or your head, and it is basically a replacement for the traditional what is order now traditional cartridge razors, disposable cartridge razors, like from Gillette and from Schick and the likes, right? So all the plastic disposable. And um, this one gives you the same sort of experience with shaving with that type of blade, but with uh, using disposable blades that are common to double-edged razors. And there's a, a with double-edged razors, you can actually split them in two and get two, uh, two edges facing the same way, just like, you know, with a two edge or a three edge or a six edge razor from Gillette, for example, but this would just be two razor blades, but it would still be a small head. Um, it still have a contoured and handle, which a lot of double edge razor handles don't have. And it would allow for a, a cleaner shave uh, through fewer passes over your face, basically. And, and, I, and actually the, the grand scheme is to actually have something that people can shave their heads with and their legs with, because I happen to be bald and so I need to shave my head. And I also think that it was, it's going to appeal to, you know, women and um, people like, you know, swimmers and, you know, athletes who need to shave uh, things other than their face and heads. So, so that's yeah. kind of the, the grand scheme of things there is that it's just, it's really just making a, a, a product that is better than the options that are out there. Um, I mean, there are a lot of great products out there, to be clear. There are amazing products out there, but this uh, kind of fits into a niche of, of, usability that I have not yet uh, found a, an equivalent of. Well, and you are your own customer uh, to some degree. It's, we've talked and I've seen all of the, I guess, firsthand market research you've done on these products. So you would know what's out there and what isn't. And, you know, from my also quicker market research, it seems that you have covered the gambit as far as the other products out there, both in the cartridge space, the double-edged razor space, and uh, kind of this other space, which is like a uh, pseudo pseudo cartridge um, feel, but with a um, traditional double-edged blade. So, how long have you been working on this? Let's we'll start there, um, and then maybe maybe how long you've um, noticed it, um, noticed the the gap in the market. So I I started working about. I think I think the idea came about six months ago. I was in a conversation with a friend. We were talking about shaving routines and things like that. And 
but then I, I, find, I found a designer about three to four months ago. So maybe, maybe like officially I've been working on it for about four months. You know, it takes time to, to go through the market mm -hmm. research and the design and everything like that. And uh, only just recently, about three weeks ago, got an actual prototype out uh, of, the, of the product done in 3D printing, so not in metal or anything like that. And uh, we're looking for, uh, currently looking for ways to get a full manufactured prototype, right? Like, you know, a non-3D printed, but more physical, um, a physical, something we can actually put together as the actual semi near final product, product. Kind of thing, right? yeah, yeah, yeah exactly because there's just there's lots of things wrong with with doing 3d printing it's great for prototyping on the quick but uh because of the plastics and everything like that the lack of tolerances you can't really test the uh the the minutia that's required for something as as finely tuned as a blade yeah um so it sounds like you're getting into some of the fun details that we like to cover here on the founders forge all of the different uh, roadblocks and struggles that you run into. But first, I also just kind of um, want to come back through, reiterate the business and talk real quick about the what the market looks like before we get into kind of what I think is the the fun functional piece of the, the struggles you're running up against right now. So obviously, this is a consumer product in the self-care help self-care space yeah and you know there are these massive giant competitors that are already out there that are in the same space but then you're t talking about a specific vertical within that space which is this kind of new approach to shaving that is not the double-edged razor but is not the cartridge razor what else is out there um just maybe give a couple of those and you know have you done any research into where their target market is, who they're specifically talking to? Yeah. the uh, So to address the elephant in the room, right, Gillette and and Schick and the likes, you know, especially Gillette, right? Gillette's the, is the elephant in the room, the, the, the massive behemoth of razor shaving. But I think a lot of people, you know, especially men, probably have encountered in time the double-edged razor and it's become more and more common and there's you know several companies out there that have really been pushing um well like there's harry's and and then there's the um um the the what's the one with the lawnscape guys the can't think of their names right now but anyway they have the really obnoxious uh youtube videos for everything um you know they all are you know there's there's a big push there's a I guess the, here's the main point that in the kind of self-care grooming space, there has always been lots of room for innovation, right? Like you can just see that through history. There's a lot of changes that have gone through both in terms of just technology and fashion and, um, you know, those types of considerations. And if that's not different now as we, you know, we move through the generations, you know, different people have, uh, different cultures have different ideas of what they want to see. And right now I've, in the research I've done, I've seen a, a big uptick in terms of people looking for alternates to the disposal razor because disposal razors are made out of plastic, they impact the environment, uh, they're expensive. Whereas if you go to a double-edged razor or the like, you get a more custom type shave, more niche shave. Uh, you get a closer shave if you have the skill for it. And uh, 
you know, and people sometimes are just interested in doing something that's different, right? Like they don't want to go to Target or Walmart and pick up razors for, you know, you know, two and a half dollars a blade or whatever the deal is now. And so they're looking for something different, right? So there's the, the like the oldest razors that you might see are the single edge razors, which are, you know, the classic barber, right? You know, the, the barber's Sweet got the razors. knife, right? Yeah. And that kind of thing, right? That's the classic. But then the double edge, which Gillette basically revolutionized is the the classic it's i call it the uh the blade on a stick basically because you have a, a rod that has a, a double-edged blade on it you know coming out to each side and that, that allows for really fine manipulation of your shaving experience um it does yeah. have some because the uh contours of the skin are you know differ quite greatly for a lot of people and uh, it's not really great for uh, sensitive skin like on top of a head or large swaths of skin like on um, like on a person's legs. So that's, you know, the, the uh, cartridge razor still fits there. The disposal razor still fits in that one. But there's another class. They're called single-edged razors. And that that's basically where mine fits. And what it's kind of a, a misnomer single edge because it's not just one edge. It's it's that's there's just only one. The blades are facing the same direction as in, you know, think of a cartridge razor. But Instead of uh, instead of having blades embedded, you can actually change your blades and have them all point the same direction. So mine's a double-edged. Sorry, the the uh, the vocabulary gets a little confused. Mine's two blades facing the same direction, which forms what's called a single-edged razor. So the the vernacular is not really accurate in that respect. But anyway, there are several competitors out there that do that. They have a single blade, or they have multiple blades facing the same direction in order to mimic the experience of a uh, disposable blade and so um and they, they've become more and more popular as i've searched through social media and reddit and in other aspects um, because they uh, address a few issues that double-edged razors have like not being able to tell which sides uh sharper used and which, one, yeah. which one isn't used right because you, you're you're basically flipping around this blade in your hand all the time and so um, you know, you can be, you can have a perfectly sharp blade and then suddenly flip it around and have a perfectly dull blade and it's a very bad shape. <laughs> and, and there's handling and other issues too, right? There's this, this, oh, yeah. I, I come from, uh, my, my main background in software is in user interface development, user, user interface design. And I take a lot of that into consideration when doing, um, doing the design the of product design products. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm yeah. a big fan of, uh, um, of uh, Norman, who wrote the book, uh, The Psychology of Everyday Things, which is a fantastic read if you're into into mm -hmm. any sort of design, user experience, uh, digital experience design, or physical design. Yeah, yeah. So um, to that point, uh, let's talk about the design process and the benefits that you've found with 3D printing and maybe some of the roadblocks of saying, hey, I want to make this really cool product. And then oh wait, I have to figure out how to test it out and then figure out how to get it in front of customers because I can't just draw it and it, it's it's there. There's so much that goes in between there. Right, right, yeah. Well, the biggest challenge is just I'm not I'm not an artist. I don't, I don't know how to draw. I mean, well, I can draw, but I can't draw something technical like the handle or the blade. And, and there's a lot of a lot of things to consider, even in something as simple as a razor blade, because a razor blade consists of a handle, which is static, right? But in mm -hmm. my case, we have a 
are pivoting head on it, as, as most people familiar with disposables will be aware of. Uh, but that that in turn has all of these internal mechanisms that have to be considered. And there's all these these positions for manufacturing. And, you know, I was semi-aware of this. I had worked in manufacturing before in one of my earlier careers. I'd worked in manufacturing mobile phones along with developing the UI. And so I was aware of these these little nuances. But to actually live it and actually go, okay, well, hey, here's this idea. And then have my design go, well, we can't manufacture that inexpensively, right? That's like, impossible. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it, it's either impossible or it's so expensive, it might as well be impossible. You know, because the, the- Infeasible. Yeah, it's infeasible because yes. the, the technical needs for it are just remarkable. And this is on a device, you know, on a product that is, you know, it's only, you know, four, four or five inches in length at most, right? So. Mine's, it's not uh, like there's any like yeah. complex moving engine parts uh, or uh, motors or anything like that. Yeah. You're, you're talking like, you know, the extent of what seems like two functional pieces, or I guess for this three, but then there's all of the different interfaces and intricacies that go into that. And you can be like, oh, I want to make this. I want it to be simple. I want it to have contour and all that, but then to actually turn that to design that into a product right that's that's its own process by itself yeah yeah and that's the thing is just like i mean the the so the the handle is contoured and like the, the just getting that to come out is really a, it's a it's a challenge in its own right right you can you can do 3d designs really easily that's 3d designs are trivial to do if you have the skills behind them which my designer does and so he he popped one out according to my specifications quite quickly and it looked great and it handled great. And we did a 3D print of it. And the handle was was like, we didn't have to do a lot of tweaks on it, right? Like it's just, I had a, a vision in my head. I shared it with him. He interpreted it in a way that just worked really well. But- So you had an awesome designer. I had an awesome designer, but even that handle, even though it came out basically, you know, for, for lack, you know, for the sake of the, the argument, right? Came out perfectly the first time around, right? It's not perfect because now, I have to consider the manufacturing costs of this thing. It's got all these contours on it. It's got all these shapes, all these these uh, divots in it. It's got all these other things in order to make for a better shaving experience so that you're holding the handle. It doesn't slip out of your hand. You can uh, have really fine motor control over how the blade is uh, goes down your skin by you know holding on its handle, right? And especially under different conditions. And um, all of that adds expense to the manufacturing. Yeah, just because... Just because you can 3D print it, uh, right. you know, for the same cost as you know another design, doesn't mean that when it goes to a manufacturer um, and you're doing injection molding or CNC routing, that yeah. it will be the same, uh, for sure, for sure. So, uh, real quick though, well, how did you find your designer? I feel like if anyone's like, man, I want to make a product. Oh, cool, uh, this guy got a designer. Yeah. How did you do that? Well, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, so, so a friend of mine is a, he manufactures small parts for, uh, and he's, so he's, he's got a full business going on and, and he told me that how he found his designer was through, um, GrabCAD, which is this website or CAD grab. I always get it backwards one way or the other. Anyways, which is a website that basically, uh, people can share CAD, um, files, right? And so I spent some time looking on that, but, you know, really couldn't find anybody. And then I started looking through Reddit and just, you know, I actually kind of asked about and found it. And, and, and then I, you know, that didn't come to, to fruition. And then I went to, um, 
to Upwork and did that and found mm-hmm. lots of designers, except for unfortunately, most of them were like, they just, it's the, the problem with Upwork is that it, it, you go to, it's not curated. It's not curated. And you go to a post and then people just bombard you with generic stuff, right? Like they don't read yep. what yep. you're, you know, it doesn't matter what you're, you're requesting. They don't read anything. They just send you, you know, their resume and you're like, well, did you, this even, doesn't help me at all. Did you even read what I sent kind of thing. And so, so yep. I ended up uh, actually asking on a, an Austin Facebook group called, um, Austin startups. And I got a guy from there and he pointed to a gentleman that's in Georgetown, which is about 30 minutes north of Austin. And uh, so I went up and visited him and had a chat with him and um, found found him to do really well. And uh, actually, let me back that up. Actually, you gave me a reference, Marcus. So there was that Except reference. For, yeah. but he was out in California. And so Georgetown is way closer than California is. And so that's always nice, especially yeah. when they're producing something that's physical you know if, if they're directly 3d printing or something right. you know they don't have to ship it you can just hand out yeah. and grab it or whatever but exactly yeah, that's awesome so so that's how i found it, is is ultimately it was on a facebook startup page where you know it's just the right community and somebody you know it, that's what i would recommend right is that you got to find a community. go find a startup community yeah. somewhere because people people are doing stuff like this so you you know, go where the flock is and you'll find the shepherd or, or I don't know, whatever the other terms would be. Right. Um, <laughs> awesome. So, so that right there, I feel like is a great roadblock of the, Hey, I can't actually, you know, CAD this out. I can't design this. I need someone to do that. And through persistence and ultimately finding a community, that's, that's how you found that. I, I find communities to be oftentimes not always um, some of the best ways to find really quality individuals who can help you out. So after that, now, now kind of what is that primary roadblock? I, I, you alluded to it. Well, at the moment, it's the manufacturing of the prototype, right? The, the full prototype. And it's, we're kind of in a, in a holding pattern right at the moment because of a variety of things. But uh, the main one is I'm, trying to get clarity on what I'm going to do with the product. So I think that's actually a bigger hindrance at the moment. It's like, uh, I've, I can see that it has some potential to be put out as a consumer item, but in the context of what I understand for manufacturing right now, it may not be a viable product. Right. So that's, a you know, there's this balance going on right there. And, uh, you know, the best thing to do of course, is to probably find a manufacturer that can, you know, or somebody, you know, some sort of machine shop or something like that, that can basically print out a full on full metal with all tolerances so that I can actually put blades in there and I can actually test it in its, you know, full capacity, right? Because the head is so small, it can't be made out of plastic. It has to be made out of metal. The plastic simply just doesn't have the tolerances. It would, you know, I'd I'd make this product and it would break after a handful of uses Mm -hmm. basically. So if it was made out of plastic, so it has to be made out of metal and the handle may be out of metal, maybe out of plastic, it depends. Right. So, so there's a lot, all these, these questions that need to be answered and I don't, I can't answer really any of them until I actually have the product in my hand. In fact, I'm, I'm having some challenges in terms of, I don't, so I I have some access to some community, but like, (laughs) here's a big challenge, right? Like I have a product, but it has some potentially patentable ideas on it. And so I can't necessarily release it 
you know, for people to take a look at without giving it away, basically. And, so how do you gauge interest uh, without sharing, you know, right. all of the trade secrets and then, you know, without knowing the interest, you don't know how much people are willing to pay. And if you don't know how much people are willing to pay, yeah. you don't know how viable the actual manufacturing costs are because if it's like a oh to manufacture this you know and have a decent margin the product will end up costing you know 150 dollars well are people going to be willing to pay 150 dollars for a razor or are they only willing to pay 80 um you know or is it you know 50 i don't know like um yeah that's kind of chicken and egg issue uh I feel like I actually may may know some directions you could go for figuring out the manufacturing side of things. But regardless, um, have you have you gotten any idea of what you, which way you want to go about that, or um, is that that's really it? Is once you figure that out, then you'll be able to move forward. Yeah, I think that's that's it. There, my designer is he's well versed in this kind of stuff, so he's been doing this for a while, and he actually pointed me down a potential another path. So this is something to consider. And because it has potentially patentable items on it, and you know, I have to, I, ha- I had a uh, patent attorney take a quick look at kind of the the high level kind of thing, and he came up with some ideas and stuff like that. But you know, one of the possibilities is not to actually even release it as a product, right? But instead, release it as a patent and sell it to one of the big guys, right? Sell it to to Gillette or Schick or whomever, because these guys are picking up patents all the time in an effort to control the market. And so that's an option as well, right? So it's not a, it's no longer. I guess it did. What's that? I was, I guess it depends on if you want it to go to market or not, right? Right, but, exactly, yeah. exactly. So you know, it's it, it's an interesting question that I had not thought about because, you know, in my experience with with software companies, and I've you know I've worked for a couple of startups and I've worked with some large ones. Um, you know, the question is always uh, when you're a startup you know, you have to have an exit plan, right? Is that exit plan to go on and actually produce a full on suite of, you know, whatever that software is, right? Whatever it might be, you know, software mm-hmm. service or, a, you know, whatever, video game or something like that. Or, or are you, you going to sell it? Yeah, or, you build yeah. to a point where it's it's so appealing that a company wants to take the, the, or a larger company wants to take the small company, your company off of your hands kind of thing, right? And, and there's so many different nuances and, and, and uh, considerations there. And I didn't consider that for a manufacturing product, for a consumer product. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really interesting thought. Um, well, I guess, uh, you know, we should talk more about this offline and, and maybe get some more strategy there. But regardless, it sounds like uh, key takeaway here is just because you have a cool product idea doesn't mean that you can design it. And just because you find a designer doesn't mean that it can be designed effectively for manufacturing. And so there's all these little steps that go in there. But if you're looking for a designer, the way Adam got his was through a startup community um, in his local area, which I think, you know, working local is always great. Um, so I guess, um, unless you have, do you have anything else that you would, uh, suggest to the founder that is in the forge, uh, around this space or, um, any other final notes? Yeah, I think the, the only thing to add on there is, and this is kind of in conjunction with that thing about the, the, the patents versus the release of the product as a, as a consumer item is, you know, look at all of your options, right? There's, there's, have the conversations with people who know more than you do. I mean, I, just because I worked in manufacturing doesn't mean I actually knew anything about manufacturing when it really came to the depth. 
and uh, just continue having conversations because at some point somebody will have, if they don't know, they might have a connection, who knows? And that, that might send you down a completely different path. Yeah, for sure. No, that's, that's really great. Uh, Adam, as always, it's great to talk to you and it was great having you in the hot seat today. Thanks for uh, sharing about your, your journey. We always appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for the time. If any other founders out there are interested in sitting in the hot seat, feel free to reach out. We have all of the links in the show notes. And uh, I guess until next time, keep grinding and uh, I'll see you later. All right. Take care, everyone. Talk to you later.